Hello and welcome. I'm Duncan Rayburn and this is Unorthodoxy. In this episode we're going to be looking at a truly fascinating interpretation of the doctrine of the Trinity known as the Law of Three. If you're not familiar with the Law of Three, I think you're going to be just as blown away as I was when I first encountered it. Like all good ideas, there's something about it that's fresh and new, but also something kind of oddly familiar. It's a bit like a good twist in a film or a novel, where it feels both totally surprising and in a way totally obvious. Well, I guess that depends a little bit on your point of view. I like this idea because it offers a lens through which we can understand a number of things, but especially the nature of creativity. But before we get there, a quick word on the doctrine of the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity is, of course, one of the most confusing and perplexing ideas in human history. Because it confounds logic at every turn. Is God one? Yes. And three? Yep. Monotheism? Definitely. Perichoretic transcendent love machine? Of course. Polytheism? No, not really. But then, how does that work? Uh, if there are one and three, and they're both the same thing. Well, in a way, don't ask, but also do. Keep on keep on searching. It's a really interesting thing to grapple with. Every attempt to analogize the doctrine of the Trinity turns out to be problematic in a way, because the primary purpose of the doctrine is, at least as I see it, to invite people to enter into a mystery and then to live in and through the mystery. The divine is obviously a mystery through and through, and if you can explain it or pin it down in any way, what you're probably dealing with is no longer God, but just your idea of God, an idol of sorts, a dead thing, and certainly not the source of life itself. Sadly, the Trinity is an idea, a doctrine, that most people wouldn't miss if it slowly vanished from consciousness, even people who identify closest with Christianity. And it seems to me that the reason for this is that it's not really something that most people take the time to truly contemplate. In my entire lifetime, I can remember hearing only one sermon on the Trinity, which seems odd considering that all the major creeds start with an affirmation of this doctrine. Turns out, thankfully, that there are some who have given the Trinity some thought. In fact, some mystics have noticed that lurking behind this weird, complex, mysterious doctrine, is a profoundly practical tool. When we get past trying to locate persons within the Trinity, we start to notice a process. And what's more is that this process is not just something purely abstract, located within the divine dance, some sort of like thing beyond our grasp, but it is also something evident in the material cosmos and in human interactions. As it so happens, the three-in-oneness of this process is actually unique to the Christian tradition. In a world obsessed with conflating everything to one thing, and so assuming that all so-called religions are essentially the same, or part of what the, is known as the perennial tradition, it's actually pretty astonishing to discover that when you get into the details, there are differences, sometimes really significant differences. In fact, so significant that it's difficult to even understand how the term religion could be applied to the different religions. And the core difference in the Christian conception of God is precisely this three-in-oneness, with an emphasis on the oneness and the threeness, obviously. 
No matter where you find yourself on the ideological spectrum, this is, I think, well worth paying attention to, if only for the sheer profundity of insights that it yields. It turns out most metaphysical systems are binary. There's a kind of two-in-oneness about them. For instance, in Taoism you find the doubleness of the kind of yin and yang principle. In Manichaeism or Cartesianism, which are not the same thing but certainly are connected, flesh and spirit are opposed. In most monotheistic articulations, it's God and the world in some kind of dialectical relationship. In most epistemologies, we find thousands of binaries, male, female, dark, light, night, day, and so on. Even Hegel's dialectic is rooted in a doubleness. There's, there are these two opposing forces, and these give rise to a third. And when you look at De Derrida's deconstruction, you, you see that even there's something assumed that has a kind of binary logic, even if there's a, an attempt there to overcome this binary logic. I know that's an oversimplification, but hopefully it's a, a necessary one. Most phenomenologies attempt to find a synthesis between mind and body, assuming that there are only really two things at work that need to be brought together. These binary systems are really great in their own way, but they tend to forget mediation. The idea that two are always held together by a third. Yes, of course, life is sustained in the interplay of opposites, but not just in the interplay of opposites. The interplay of all polarities always calls for a third, a reconciling principle between the other two principles. The reason for this is that binary systems, like Hegel's dialectic, tend to demand or perhaps yearn for a kind of balance. As binary systems would have it, the opposites or oppositions need to find a middle point to ensure that the cosmic seesaw doesn't end up getting stuck. But balance isn't actually how life works. Um, and I think it, it becomes a kind of false ideal for a lot of people. They want to balance their lives out. But how is that even done? If anything, it always seems that life is rooted in a kind of holy asymmetry that is forever lurching forward, moving, progressing, powering on. Creation is, as I understand it, in a way shark-like. It it suggests that stopping swimming is equal to dying. Even if we're unsure of whether entropy is going to have the last word or not, we can be sure that life is always on the move. And this is not something that strictly binary metaphysical systems manage to accommodate, this motion forward. Binary systems, when stuck with their, within their two-ness, produce only a kind of static oneness. A ternary or trinitarian system, on the other hand, produces something else, a dynamic oneness. The claim here is that ternary metaphysics is actually more accurate than binary. Binary is how things seem in a way, whereas ternary is how things really are. And this isn't just semantics. Something really, I think, profound is going on here. Something generative, transformative, and, and dynamic. In fact, it's precisely in this generativity of this ternary metaphysics that we can see its practicality. Of course, I'm aware that there is a risk in all this that we merely end up instrumentalizing the Trinity, but there is an equal danger, I feel, in failing to see the Trinity as having any use. 
This is what Cynthia Bourgeau says in her book on this subject. It's a really interesting book, and I suggest you check it out if you want more detail on the subject. She says, With the law of three as its hermeneutical key, that is, its interpretive key, the Trinity reveals the knowledge of how God, the hidden, unmanifest, inaccessible light, becomes accessible light, manifesting and creating love, and how love in turn becomes the drive shaft of all creation, bringing all things to their fullness, not by escaping createdness, but by consummating it. So, what is the law of three? Well, Bourgeois notes it's a hermeneutical key for the Trinity, but as I've already intimated here, I think it's a hermeneutical key on its own too. It's a way of seeing how newness, that is creation, creativity, arises. There are six core principles of the law of three, and I'm going to look at each of them briefly here. Actually, there are more than six principles, but for the sake of clarity and focus, I'm going to keep it just to six. The first principle is that in every new arising, there are three different independent forces involved, not just two. The first force is the affirming force, the second is the denying force, and then the third is a reconciling force, sometimes referred to as a neutralizing force. I'll see, say that again in slightly different words for clarity's sake. In every new arising, we can locate three different forces, one sustaining, one negating, and one mediating. The second principle of the law of three is that it is in the interweaving of these three forces that a fourth is produced in a new dimension. So, for example, yellow, that's the sustaining force, is brought into contact with red, the negating force, because it's negating yellow, by a paintbrush, the mediating force, to give rise to orange, the new creative arising. Or, as another example, sperm, negating, is brought into contact with egg, affirming by sex, reconciling, to bring about a new arising, relationship, conception, life. So, there you have the first two principles. Principle three is that the three forces are not fixed points or permanent essence attributes. They can and do and in fact must shift and be discerned situationally. So maybe you think I've labeled my examples wrong a moment ago. Well, that's okay. We're not dealing with fixed attributes. The idea is to begin to discern and identify the way that different forces present can give rise to something new. And obviously, in life situations, sometimes this can be a very complex and tricky activity. So, hence the need for discernment. In fact, as you get into this law of three thinking, you'll notice that it's vital to, to understand when you've perhaps named a force incorrectly. Maybe the thing you thought was negating was in fact mediating, or maybe the force you thought that was affirming was in fact the negating force. If there is no new arising, there's a pretty good chance that something has been misunderstood along these lines. You can imagine how often this must happen when any form of mediation or arbitration is required. If the mediator merely confirms one or another of the positions presented, if there are two positions, there's a pretty good chance that there's going to be an impasse and that that impasse is going to remain, or maybe that the existing binary system is merely going to fall apart. Whenever you're stuck or observing how someone else is stuck, 
take time to use this law to figure out what's really going on. It's really immensely helpful because the point is not to figure out which side you, you're on or should be on, but what you would hope should emerge from the various interactions that you're going to be encountering. The fourth principle is that it is at the neutralizing or mediating or reconciling point that a new triad arises. Principle five is that not just any set of three items constitutes a trinity. The condition is that only those sets in which the three can be seen to be dynamically intertwined according to the stipulations of the law of three constitutes a trinity, albeit a small t trinity. I'd add to this that often, especially when there is no new arising, what's happened is, or what's happening is that a third component is in fact merely confirming or reinforcing two other elements in a binary system. In other words, the problem is, again, the lack of a third component. It's not necessarily that there is no third component, but simply that it hasn't yet been identified. And then the last principle, principle six, is this. Solutions to impasses generally show up when we learn how to spot and mediate a third force, which is usually present in every situation but generally hidden, as I've said. This usually means that we have to find a way to transcend the usual binary consciousness. This is what we all kind of naturally grow up with, and we have to kind of learn to have a Trinitarian kind of consciousness. So there you have the six principles of the Law of Three. And you can see this law at work in all kinds of things, as I'm sure you've realized by now. And my examples are just very simple ones, but they should help a little bit. And there are, in fact, a few ideas that this law of three helps us to find. The most obvious is that negations or oppositions may, in fact, have a part to play. Let's say you're in a horrible work situation. For some of you, this is not a hypothetical. This is exactly where you are, and you have colleagues that are messing things up for you, uh, making your job difficult, or making everyone's job difficult, um, depending on the case. Well, in identifying the pr precise nature of what those colleagues are doing, you might want to take a step back and ask what part of your situation is adopting the affirming kind of force, and what is adopting the negating force, and maybe you can figure out then what the nature of mediation needs to look like, or does look like. The result, the new arising, may not be the resolution you want, but it may be exactly the outcome that is needed in that particular situation. I think of a job I was in a while back where this is exactly what I was experiencing. I had seen the negation as being part of the situation, or at least I had identified something as being a negation, and then only later did I realize that I had misnamed it. The difficult situation wasn't the negation, it was the mediation, and I was supposed to be the negating force. And that, that realization changed where I landed up, and the result was really life-giving. So truly, the, the various oppositions we face may turn out to be opportunities, and that's one of the things that the Law of Three highlights for us. Another thing to notice, as this example I've just given suggests, is that sometimes we have misidentified the various forces at play in a situation. And that is why there is no new arising. We should keep in mind on this point, of course, that impasses are only overcome by moving forward, not backward. 
In the end, the new Arising will not be, at least not primarily, a compromise. It will be a brand new thing. In other words, sometimes we're not just looking for a solution in the typical sense, but we're looking for something that is truly new, something that's going to be life-giving and life-affirming and, of course, generative in its own way. It'll feel like a solution, of course, but it'll be, in a way, more than a solution because it'll lead to other good things or better things. In creative thinking, there's a phrase that people often use. It's the idea of thinking outside the box. It's a cliche by now, but it's worth paying attention to it because the point of it, of course, is that there is always a box. Even thinking outside of the box requires thinking in terms of the box. Limits are part of the human experience, and creativity only really happens within limits. But what happens is that we tend to assume that the box we're looking at is the only indicator of the limits that we need to adhere to. In reality, we sometimes fail to look at the one thinking about what's in the box. In other words, we fail to look at ourselves. And so we fail to notice that our way of seeing might be the limitation. And if we find a different way of seeing, well, then maybe the, the limitations of the situation can be overcome. This is something that the law of three helps with. It helps us to ask a very simple but profound question. How am I looking at this and what have I perhaps neglected to notice? Another helpful idea that the law of three alerts us to is the idea that we're looking at functions, not identities. Dynamism must be retained as an essential part of the cosmos that we inhabit. And I think this is ludicrously profound because our tendency in a way is always towards literalism, towards solidifying things that are not really as solid as we perceive them to be. So I'm going to leave you to take a look at just how widespread the applications of this idea can be. My hunch is that it could really transform the way that you look at the world. And maybe, just maybe, it'll help you out of a problem or two. Um, I think if we're looking for a creative outcome, we tend to uh, find more life than when we just treat things as kind of dead, static, and worthy of only a mere compromise. So that's what I have to share with you in this episode. Thank you very much, everyone, for, for listening. You can support this podcast at patreon.com forward slash unorthodoxy. I'm really grateful to those of you who have supported me so far. I, I really appreciate it. It means a lot to me. So, yeah, thank you. So there you go. Cheers, everyone. <laughs>